0: Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Katie Mulligan, Associate Editor of Middle Market Growth Magazine, and I'm here with Deborah Cohen, the magazine's Editor-in-Chief. Deb, who'd you talk to for the podcast this week?
1: Katie, I talked
0: with Jane Rowe.
1: She's Senior Managing Director of Private Capital at the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, which is a huge institutional investor in Canada. They have nearly $176 billion in assets under management, and they invest in everything from public equities to real estate, infrastructure, natural resources, and more. And you met Jane at NACG chapter event. Is that right? Yeah, I met her because she was speaking at the ACG Toronto Capital Connection in November. And what struck me most about what she was talking about in her panel discussion was the direct investment that Ontario Teachers does, which is a very different model from what institutional investors do in the U.S., Ontario Teachers has investments in a lot of well-known names, including CERTA Bedding, 24-Hour Fitness, uh, Bay Bridge Seniors Housing, among others. And we talked about this model of direct investment in our interview.
0: And Jane is the first limited partner that we've had on the podcast, so this is an exciting new perspective to have on the show. So let's hear what Jane has to say. Here is Deb speaking with Jane Rowe. Jane Rowe, thank you so much
1: for joining us on this Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Maybe we could start by having you define your role at Ontario Teachers. You are Senior Managing Director and Head of Private Capital, so, so what does that entail?
2: Sure. So, as we think about that at Ontario Teachers, I oversee what most people typically think of as the private equity portfolio. And for us here at Teachers, that's As at December 2016, that was about 26.6 billion dollars of private equity assets. Wow! And when we think of that at teachers, that generally falls into what we call one of three categories. And so, category number one, which is about seven or seven and a half billion, is really backing private equity funds around the globe. Mm And then the other 19 or so billion is really split into two categories. And this 19 billion is direct into private company exposures, so direct investments. Mm -hmm. And they fall in two categories. One, as you would typically think, sort of co-underwritten transactions that we do with our private equity GPs. And that's the majority of that $19 billion. But the other part that we do uh, is what we call here at Teachers long-term equities. And that's typically for us private investments where we're going to hold and we go in with the sort of core thought process that we will hold this for a longer period of time and we'll typically control the company mm-hmm. and it's a lower risk. If our analysis is correct, it's a lower risk investment for us.
1: Are these typically mid-sized companies, or that you're investing in directly and, and taking a, a control position in?
2: Sure, sure. All of our companies, I think, would be what most people would describe as typically being mid-market size transactions. Our check size is typically somewhere between sort of 150 to, to maybe five or six hundred million dollars. And today we have ownership positions, both minority and, and majority in almost 60 companies.
1: Talk about, are there any specific sectors that uh, you tend to, to gravitate toward, or are you sector agnostic?
2: No, we, we tend to be believers that... You know, to make good investment decisions, you have to have a good appreciation of the sectors against which your companies operate in. We also think it's important to have a good appreciation of the geography for the, where your companies operate. So we actually have offices here in Toronto, London, and in Hong Kong, and our investment teams are for private capital are located in all three of our offices. And we have a pretty big team here of about, mm-hmm. in total, about 78, 75 or 78 folks around the globe that just do private capital. And then, as we think about sectors, we really have six core sectors that the direct investing team is divided into. We have consumer and retail, mm-hmm. uh, telecom, media and technology, financial services, industrials, healthcare, and energy.
1: And what uh, you mentioned that you take a long-term approach, which is not unlike, I think, some family offices. At least for the direct investing portion of the portfolio, what are your um, screens? I I guess when you're when you're considering something that would be a direct investment.
2: Sure. So uh, here here at Teachers, we really um, we we may think a little bit thematically from a a, a top down approach. So for example, it could be around geography. So we may say, you know, what there are some very exciting emerging markets that we think over the next decade or two could be really growing areas and therefore important for Ontario teachers to start planting seeds today, Okay, and um, Asia might be, would be an example of that. So, you know, we would be backing private equity funds in Asia, mm-hmm. and then we'd be working with those private equity funds to see if there are ways that we can help them on the larger transactions that they're looking at, and perhaps come in early and help them underwrite the transaction, and, and really be a partner of theirs, and help them, if you will, punch above their regular weight size to do a transaction. And, you know, I'm very proud in in 2017, our team in Hong Kong has done uh, two what I think are quite exciting deals uh, where they've worked alongside our our partners. Mm -hmm. One is for a company called Spandana in India, where they worked with our private equity partner, Kadera. And then the second investment is a company called Pure Fitness, which we've done as a co-underwritten deal with Fountain um, Invest, a private equity fund of ours, uh, partner of ours in China. And so that, that's examples uh, of where we might say it's either financial services or consumer retail when we think from a sector lens. But we've also thought through from a geographic lens as we did those deals. And both of them took delight in working with some very important private equity partners of ours. And so, you know, geography is going to be a lens Sector is going to be a lens, but really we then go deep and do what we think here at Teachers is that, you know, hopefully a very compelling bottoms up analysis of each opportunity and make the decision whether or not we as fiduciaries, on behalf of the Teachers of Ontario, want to actually have an investment in this particular company. Talk- so it takes a lot of diligence to get to the spot where we'll actually uh, invest.
1: I'm sure, and I think one of the things that our members who are predominantly U.S, would be interested in knowing is how your investment model as an institutional investor, particularly um, the direct investment strategy, how that differs from U.S. pension funds and, and why, kind of why it evolved that way.
2: Okay, sure. And maybe what I could talk is give you a little bit of background of what we call uh, here the Canadian model. Okay, uh, and, and really, I you know I think Ontario Teachers was uh, one of the pioneers to the Canadian uh, private investing model. We've been doing private equity here at Teachers since 1991, and we have been doing private equity investing in two ways. In that, we started it in 1991. We began investing in private equity funds. And in 1991, we also began direct investing into private companies. So we've been doing both of those prongs Mm -hmm. from the very beginning. And, you know, Deborah, what I I love to tell is in 2016, we had our 25th anniversary for doing private equity. And so I have to do a shout out for the team. (laughs) um, Because, uh, and, and, and when you take a chance to look at some of our annual reports, if you look at the 2015 annual report, we actually we actually quote our 25-year performance number. And net of management fees and net of carry mm-hmm. and net of internal costs, the team here for teachers generated 20.2% wow. returns to the pension plan from 1991 to today, or sorry, to, to, to the end of our 25th year, which, you know, I'm just hugely <laughs> proud of what the team has accomplished amazing. there.
1: That's amazing. That's really great. And
2: well, yeah, me- and the plan itself has been super successful. Also, I think it's generated across all asset classes over ten well, percent.
1: Why? Why did you start? I mean, the, why did the Canadian model begin? You know, what was the impetus for uh, direct in- investing? It's 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 very different from like uh, I guess like a Calpers or one of, one of the big U.S. pension funds.
2: Yeah, so you know, in fairness, I wasn't around at the very beginning. Okay. Uh, I, w- I wish I was, and then I, then I could you know be even more proud of what's been accomplished. But what I would say to you is, from the very beginning, the board at the time, and particularly the chair at the time, uh, Gerald Bowie, was very astute in how he agreed to help set up our plan. And, and recall, we are jointly sponsored by both the government of Ontario. And the teachers' federation, so the unions that represent the teachers. Right. And from the very beginning, he said, you know, we need to believe in delegated authority, and we need to have a board that understands corporate governance mm-hmm. and believes in delegated authority, and is not it, it, is is a board of professionals that understand the investment business. And so, with that as the pillars of, of launching teachers. You know, the first CIO was, you know, uh, extraordinarily capable, and he led the initiatives into the alternative asset classes like private equity, and so we've been doing it from the beginning and we've had the support of the board from the beginning, and, you know, at, at teachers, over 80% of the assets that we have under management, and, and we're over $170 billion today, Eighty percent plus of our assets under management are actively internally managed by um, over 300 investment staff here.
1: That's amazing. And what percentage uh, class are classified as alternative investments?
2: I'll have to get back with you with the specific number. But for us, alternative investments includes real estate, infrastructure, and uh, private equity, and I believe also hedge funds. Okay. And
1: Can you? I'm very interested in. Um, the Constellation Brands Canada purchase. And can you can you break that out and, and just talk a little bit about how that opportunity came about and the type of role that you take? Because I believe you take an, an active operational role with, with these companies.
2: So, sure. So, for Constellation, which uh, for the rest of this conversation, I'm going to um, call Artera Wines Canada because we've rebranded the company as Artera. Okay. And... So when we think about Artera, we have to go way back in time. And in the 1990s, you know, in an earlier life for private equity here, the company was known as Vincor. Mm. And we actually were one of the shareholders in Vincor. And over time, Vincor went public and then it was taken private by Constellation. And so fast forward a decade and a half or more. And we had the opportunity to buy the company back, if you will, um, from Constellation Brands International. And when we knew it was coming on the market, we, um, we analyzed the situation and we said, you know, this is a great Canadian company mm-hmm. being spun out of its U.S. parent. We'd already owned it uh, previously or been one of the owners of the company previously. And um, so we ran hard at the opportunity. We uh, hired advisors, we hired bankers, and uh, we really dug deep, and it was a competitive situation. There were strategics that were also interested and other private equity owners, (laughs) and the company was being dual-tracked to go public here in Canada, so we had a lot of competition for the deal, but we met management, we did a lot of diligence. And uh, at the end of the day, we were able to deliver a fully funded transaction in, in competition with you know, going public or in competition mm-hmm. against um, a strategic that would have had to raise capital. And um, we managed to uh, be the last person standing, if you will, and the winner <laughs> on that transaction. And you know, I can share with you that when the teachers of Ontario heard that we were, again, um, owners of the company that they knew as Vincor. And they know the Canadian brands like yes. Jackson Triggs and Inniskillen. Our call center received just a ton of phone calls, if you will, from our teachers and retired teachers, thrilled that we were buying a Canadian company like Arterra. I bet
1: I didn't realize Inniskillin was was part of the portfolio. Um, go ice wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. I actually have been to the uh, the ice wine uh, festival in. Uh, in Ontario and to the to their uh, to their vineyards, so that's that's so interesting, and I could see why they okay, great. take pride. So, is there ever any concern about from pensioners that you know that there's like a vice component? Does that ever come up? And, and are you know how much of a of a say do the members have over um, a potential acquisition?
2: Right. So, you know, the first thing, just to, to kind of go back to the one of the core tenets of, of how we were set up, and that was the firm belief for delegated authority and to be actively intern- internally managed. So, you know, we make the investment decisions on behalf of the members and, and, and the plan. Right. They, they, you know, they do not get to, if you will, say yay or nay before we do any transaction. We are the investors on behalf of the plan and we have that authority from the board to the CIO to um, the asset class heads like myself. So we believe in that model. But what I will say is, you know, we consciously think about ESG issues Mm -hmm. and reputational risk issues as we make each investment. We actually dedicate at least one complete section of our analysis on these very issues.
1: Has anything changed at the company as a result of that type of ESG analysis or, you know, or maybe an example of, of one of your other businesses that you've been required to or have felt compelled to affect change in that area?
2: You know, I, I, I wouldn't say that, that we feel compelled to affect change. What we feel is that it's very important to make sure that we all have a heightened consciousness okay. on issues. And, you know, and we always want to do our best to make sure that the teachers of Ontario are going to be proud of the investments that we make on their behalf. You know, th- these are not shares that we can quickly sell right. in, in a public market. Right. These are private companies. You know, they have many employees and, and we want to make sure that the, the companies and their stakeholders are going to be proud of us as owners and we want to make sure that our members are going to be proud of us as owners on their behalf. And so it's it's a very delicate balance and we you know, we, we, we work on that every day. And so as you know, as direct owners of these businesses, we go to board meetings, we sit on the boards of the companies mm-hmm. that we own. We have proportionate rights for the amount of company that we do own so if we're minority or if we're majority we've got the proportionate rights there and we take this really seriously and and you know we just want to make the teachers of ontario proud and i think that's that's allowed us to have i think a really good reputation in the mm-hmm. market as excellent partners and it's helped uh, create a very solid track record for which we're proud for the teachers of Ontario.
1: Well, that's great. I'm going to ask you one last question. What trends are you seeing in institutional investing ahead this year in 2018? Any anything that's a really predominant trend?
2: I would say we continue to be alert to valuations. They they feel very full today in our market. You know, we are thinking about whether or not you know it's the right time to participate in maybe reducing some of our exposures that we have and so we have been more of a seller of assets than a buyer of new assets if you will and you know just been genuinely focused on creating value and liquidity for the plan for where we are in the cycle.
1: Okay well Jane Rowe with Ontario Teachers thank you so much for uh, joining me on this middle market growth conversations podcast.
2: Okay thank you Deborah. Thanks
0: for listening to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Subscribe to the show in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate us and leave a review to help other listeners find out about the podcast. After you've rated the show, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and trends in middle market M&A.